Well, as you may know, uh, we've been living through an epidemic of unimaginable proportion. It's an epidemic that we haven't seen in generations, and it's made its way into almost every country, culture, and pretty much fabric of our existence. Uh, from our work to families, it's changed the way that we learn, and it's disordered even the way that we interact with one another. And unfortunately, no vaccine can help cure this epidemic either. So I'm not talking about coronavirus. Uh, instead, I'm talking about something with far greater lasting impact, and it's loneliness. Uh, even before the widespread social isolation that was caused by lockdowns uh, across the world, loneliness was rapidly increasing. In 2019, a study carried out by Swinburne University in Victoria found that one in three young adults between the ages of 18 to 25 reported problematic levels of loneliness. Levels of loneliness that led to depression, social anxiety, and paranoia. But it's not just affecting younger generations. In Japan, where more than 25% of its population are aged 65 and older, uh, the elderly crime rate has quadrupled over the past couple of decades. Why is this the case? Well, many are carrying out petty crimes like shoplifting to spend time in prison. For an age group that feels uh, invisible and abandoned, prison has actually become a safe haven for them uh, to find uh, a cure for loneliness. One senior woman said, I enjoy my life in prison more. There are always people around and I don't feel lonely here. Now, these are just studies done before the coronavirus pandemic. Um, and I know speaking uh, to, to a church this big, uh, these aren't just studies or, or facts. Uh, this is something that you have personally struggled with or continue to struggle with today. So uh, I don't share these things lightly. Uh, I want to recognize how big of a problem that this is for us living in Sydney in 2021. Um, more recently, a study was done here in Australia to find a way to counter the growth of loneliness. This was done uh, during the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, with one in four Australian adults feeling lonely, the study found that knowing just six neighbours uh, reduces the likelihood of feeling alone and it's linked to reducing stress induced by coronavirus lockdowns. Just six neighbours. Now, I could spend my morning uh, talking about the countless other studies that have been done in the past year alone um, and the effects lockdowns and isolation have had in increasing loneliness across the world, but that's not why we're here. Um, so, so why am I sharing these things with you? Well, if anything, these studies reveal to us the, the current state of loneliness, um, and it really points us towards one thing, the absence of love and compassion to our neighbour. In the parable that was just read, we're going to see that these two things, love and compassion, are actually at the heart of the Christian message and who Jesus is. So I'm really looking forward uh, to what God has to say to us as a church, despite me um, kind of being in my bedroom here um, and recording. Uh, uh, I'm really thankful, really, just for the, the privilege that I have to, to be speaking to you today um, and to be sharing from God's word. So why don't you pray with me as we get stuck into this passage? Father, thank you that you speak to us today. Thank you that your word is alive and it has the power to transform. So, Father, uh, I pray as I speak today, you may make your word clear, that you would allow us to listen well um, as we continue to learn in 
uh, growing in love and compassion. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. If you have an outline open in front of you, uh, we're at point one. Jesus is challenged. Let's uh, dive back into the passage. Uh, Read with me from verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbors as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Uh, From the start of this passage, we see an expert in the law come to challenge Jesus. We've seen characters like this before in the Gospels, um, an expert of Old Testament law who may have also been a, a Pharisee, but this is someone who intellectually knew God's law inside and out uh, and probably had it completely memorized. We read that this expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. His intention from a, a place of intellectual authority was to see what type of teacher Jesus was. Well, immediately Jesus turns the question back to the expert and asks him, How do you interpret the law? What does it say in God's word? The expert in the law quotes two pieces of scripture that we actually have in our hands today. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind from Deuteronomy 6 and love your neighbor as yourself from Leviticus 19. These are two really important passages of scripture that essentially sum up the entire law of God. How do we know this? Well, in Matthew 22, Uh, We see a similar situation unfold with another expert in the law asking Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replies with these two exact pieces of scripture. So this expert in the law has uh, lived up to his name. Um, And Jesus confirms this by telling the man that by doing this and following these laws, he will actually have eternal life. But as we read on, we find out that this isn't enough for the lawyer. We read in verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In the process of asking Jesus, who is my neighbor? The expert in the law is actually making two key mistakes. Mistake number one, his response suggests that he himself believes that he has kept the first law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. He doesn't ask Jesus, how can I be certain I'm loving the Lord with all my heart or with all my strength? Uh, Instead, he moves on to justify himself. The second mistake is his attempt to define who his neighbor is. Among the Jews, and in particular among the Pharisees, they interpreted their neighbor as a fellow Jew, someone who was part of God's chosen nation. So in an attempt to justify who his neighbor was, He's seeking to carry out the law with the narrowest definition of neighbor as possible. He's seeking to work his way to eternal life instead of addressing what's actually at the heart of the law. Well, moving on to point two, how does Jesus respond to this man? Read with me from verse 30. And as we reread this parable, just remember the question that is getting answered. Who is my neighbor? Verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. 
They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, Jerusalem to Jericho was a really famous route uh, between two large cities of the time. The distance between the two cities was around 36 kilometers. So imagine walking from uh, Bankstown pretty much all the way to Bondi Beach. The journey would have taken uh, a number of different people, uh, in particular uh, merchants, carrying things to sell. Um, And the journey was almost infamous, though, because of how popular it was for bandits and robbers. So as Jesus began this story, immediately the crowd recognized the setting that he was speaking within. Uh, They themselves may have taken this route. They themselves may have heard similar stories of people being beaten and and robbed. As you can see, uh, because of the mountainous terrain, there were plenty of hiding places as well for robbers to wait for vulnerable people and then escape. So very rarely, if at all, uh, people would be taking this route alone. They would be traveling in large groups for safety. But as you read, this man in Jesus' story is alone. Uh, He's robbed and he's uh, beaten pretty much to the point of death. As people are walking by, uh, they're seeing what looks like to them a a naked, dead man. It's at this point Jesus introduces to us another character, a priest. Now, a priest was not just the top of the hierarchy uh, in terms of religious uh, areas, but one of the most important people within the nation of Israel as a whole. And as a priest there uh, were particular laws that would be uh, around defilement that would actually prevent you from carrying out your duties. One of those laws said you were not allowed to touch a dead body or a corpse. Um, and if you did, you would have to go through several different cleansing rituals. The priest saw this man. He didn't miss this man, uh, but he saw him and he made the conscious decision to go to the other side of the road. The priest places his own desire to avoid the extra work of those cleansing rituals to show, uh, to avoid, and he doesn't show kindness instead. In essence, the people listening to this parable would have thought that here comes the hero, someone who knew God's, God's Old Testament law well to show kindness to those in need. But instead, Jesus flips the narrative on its head and the priest does everything he can to avoid this helpless man. As we keep reading, another man walks past, and this time it's a Levite. From the tribe of Levi, Levites were not quite priests, uh, but they would assist the priests in various religious duties. So this is another highly religious man who is linked to the priesthood, uh, to the temple, um, and in the same way that we would expect the priest to help the dying man, we too should expect, and the, the crowd at the time would have expected this Levite to show compassion, to show love. Instead, he does follow the priest um, in avoiding the man in need. These are two men who have been set apart to carry out God's work, who knew God's law and commands so much better than probably any of us will ever know, and yet they provided no help at all. They walked on by and left him for dead. I wonder how many of us here today can think of a time in which we decided to place our needs or desires above others. How many of us can resonate with these two characters? I know personally, even as I was preparing this talk, the temptation to walk 
on the other side of the road was far too familiar. Well, it's at verse 33 when this parable takes a real turn. We're at point 2b now, the Samaritan. Read with me from verse 33. But a, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, the Samaritan was actually unlike any of the previously mentioned characters. Uh, Samaritans tracked their heritage back to when Israel was captive in Assyria hundreds of years ago. It was during this time that certain uh, Jews began to worship the foreign idols of Gentiles. They began to intermarry with them. Um, and, And so the Samaritans were the offspring of these intermarriages. During the time of Jesus, the Jews not only despised the Samaritans, uh, but they hated them with all that they had. To get a a picture of the racial tension between the two, uh, in the chapter before, you don't need to go there, but in Luke 9, verses 51 to 56, we have this short account of a, a Samaritan village rejecting Jesus and his followers. And in response, two of Jesus' closest disciples, James and John, without any hesitation, without any fear, suggest to Jesus to to smite this village, to destroy it. To have the confidence to say such a thing to Jesus' face really just paints a picture of how common and how normal the hate for a Samaritan was. And so it is this person, a, a Samaritan, that Jesus decides to be the one who saves the dying man in the story. So what is the difference between the Samaritan and the Levite and the priest? Well, it's at the end of verse 33. Um, The NIV says he took pity on him, but a more accurate translation found in the ESV is that he had compassion. When he saw this poor dying man on the road, he felt something. He had compassion. And it was this compassion that compelled him to do something. It was compassion that led him to treat the man's wounds, most likely with his own clothes. It was compassion that gave him the strength to place the man on his donkey and make the rest of the trip walking alongside him. It was compassion that allowed him to freely sacrifice his plans to look after this man. It was compassion that led him to sacrifice two whole days worth of wages to the innkeeper and to open himself to uh, being scammed by offering to cover any extra costs. Now, I could go on, but the point is, this is not just holding the door for someone, but this is a a lavish and a a costly love. This is a love, a a generosity uh, to not just a complete stranger, but this is a love that was shown to someone who hates you, who wishes that you were dead. In this parable, Jesus doesn't just answer, who is my neighbor? But he also answers, how do we be a neighbor? How do we love our neighbors? And so Jesus goes back to the expert in the law in verse 36 there. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Who is my neighbor? Who is your neighbor? 
Well, there are no limits. Uh, Jesus is saying our neighbor is everyone. Everyone you come across is an opportunity to be a neighbor to and an opportunity to love them. We are called to love every single man, woman, and child made in the image of God. Now, this is actually really big. Uh, When you pause and think about uh, what that truly means for us and how we live our life. As sad as it is to admit, uh, there are people in each one of our lives who we find really hard to love. Um, Maybe people we find hard to connect with. Maybe even people we dislike or hate. There's room in there for us uh, to repent of that first, but under the grace of God, there's even extra space in there for us to move into loving these people. But how do we carry out these acts of kindness? How do we love those we hate? How do we even just love everyone and anyone that we come across? Well, a part of the answer is we can't. Uh, There's a certain element to this story where the Samaritan has loved so greatly, so sacrificially, that practically in our day-to-day, this is something that's impossible to keep up with. Uh, I want to take us back uh, to point one and how this interaction with Jesus began. It it involved the great commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. The role of the law is to expose our sin. Paul talks about this in Romans 7 and Galatians 3. As we read the law, as we read just how righteous we need to be in order to keep the law, we realize that it's impossible. And this was the uh, the mistake that the expert in the law made. And maybe that's the mistake you're making here today. They, They sought to fulfill the law with their own morality, with their own religion, with their own good works, instead of actually seeking forgiveness through God. So with acknowledging our neighbor as anyone and everybody, you're sitting there realizing that you just can't do that. Uh, When you measure yourself against what's required, all of us can't love God with all of our heart, soul and mind and strength, nor can we love our neighbors perfectly. We too realize that this is next to impossible to carry out. So to pursue eternal life through fulfilling the great commandment, that is not what we need to do. Uh, That's not what we need to walk out of here thinking. Uh, What we need to do is is seek forgiveness through faith in Jesus. You see, just as the Samaritan had no right, uh, no reason to show compassion, the almighty maker of all creation had no right to extend his grace and mercy to me and to you. Um, Just like in the parable, a a radical, uh, unexpected love was given freely by God, ultimately at the cross of Jesus. As a man was beaten, stripped naked and left for dead, we too decided to choose death. Giving in to our earthly desires, uh, our, our goodness, our ability to experience full and whole satisfaction in the Lord was taken and, and stolen by sin. As sin made its way beyond our hearts, uh, to our tongues in the way that we gossip or lash out in anger, to our heads as we place ourselves before others and seek comfort above all things, 
to our hands as we partake in excessive habitual greed with possessions, with food and entertainment. As all those things happened, we too were left naked, ashamed and lost, lying there on on the road. Just as the Samaritan looked upon the man with compassion, so too did Jesus on us. As we had our wounds open in need of healing, Jesus took on his own wounds as he was pierced on the cross. As the Samaritan poured oil and wine over the man's wounds, Jesus poured over his blood over us for the forgiveness of our sins. As the Samaritan put the man on his donkey and took him to the inn to be looked after, Jesus reached out his arm to us and said, Welcome, brother, welcome, sister, to paradise. This is our God. This is who Jesus is. And this is the ultimate act of love and compassion. And so as our Savior has done all of this, so too should we be reflecting this love his goodness, his compassion to our neighbours. And this is the challenge that Jesus has for us today. If you're someone who hasn't experienced this love before, um, you might not consider yourself a follower of Jesus, or maybe you have been coming to church for a while now. Um, But really, only after today, this is the first time you've realised the immense love that Jesus has for you. Well, can I just say that in the, the same way the Samaritan made the conscious decision to show compassion, so too did Jesus on you. Uh, the offer of acceptance and forgiveness of everything that you have done uh, from sins is, is available to you today. And so if that's something you would like, can I just urge you to maybe speak to a friend that you know here at SWEC, uh, speak to one of the pastors um, and, and, and let Jesus heal those wounds for you. But for the rest of us, as this parable leads us to the gospel, what is it going to look like for us to love our neighbour and follow in Jesus' steps? Well, can I suggest two things? The first thing is we need to realise that we do not carry out this commandment from a a place of guilt, um, even from a place of just pleasing God, uh, but it needs to come from a place of genuine love. When we fully recognize Jesus as our good Samaritan and and so much more, the love we show to others will flow out of the great love and gratitude we have for our Savior. So if it's been a while since you've actually just uh, sat down um, in silence and meditated on who Jesus is and what he has done for you, can I suggest that you do that? Uh, Go away tonight after today's service Spend some time just truly resting in all that Jesus has done to save you from death and ask him that he may renew the love that you have for him. What's the second thing? Well, we actually need to take steps in loving our neighbours. <laughs> um, we need to grow in not just waiting for opportunities to come to, come to us, um, but to intentionally seek out ways to love and show compassion to the people God has placed around us. So um, can I suggest that you you start with where you're at? Uh, Who are the people in your life that you need to show love and compassion to? Is it brothers and sisters uh, here at SWEC? Uh, Is it workmates? Uh, Maybe for you, it's actually committing to sponsoring a child through compassion. 
because as we know, even a child who we may never physically meet um, living in poverty, living in need, they too are also our neighbor. Or how about I take us back to the epidemic of loneliness with the need for love and compassion in our world and our culture being as strong as it has ever been. I believe God is actually calling us today to be a light in what is so much darkness around us. Uh, and this is especially so as we go through what could be an unknown amount of time in lockdown. Um, so get to know your physical neighbors around you. Remember that it's just six neighbors that can really change someone's life. Uh, be proactive in caring for others and showing kindness to them. In a time where many are isolated, comfortable with staying behind the screen and in their rooms, now is the time for God's people to show a, a radical and transforming love to others. And I have so much confidence that even just taking the tiniest steps in growing in your ability to show compassion, well, this will lead to the light of the gospel shining brighter and brighter through you. Uh, so as Jesus has chosen us in history's most ultimate act of love and compassion, are you willing to go out today and follow in his footsteps? How about we pray? Father, we want to come before you this afternoon on our knees, acknowledging you as our saviour. We repent and confess of the times in which we have failed to love our neighbour. But we also just want to thank you for all that you've done to save us, to show compassion to us. As we go out this week seeking to grow in love and compassion by your spirit, may you enable us to do that. Give us a spirit of boldness, not fear, as we seek to share your love to those around us. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.